0: Welcome to this week's boss to boss podcast. In our interviews, we feature remarkable people doing imaginative things in often unimaginative markets, usually from the world of B2B. This week, we're joined by Amelia Torode, marketing strategist and entrepreneur. Amelia's list of achievements and recognitions is long enough to fill almost this entire podcast, Campaign Magazine's Planner of the Year, TimeWise Power 50, one of the UK's most influential marketers on Twitter, various media and academic positions held. Basically, Amelia is kind of a big deal, so we couldn't be more excited to have her with us today, directing her enormous brain towards the subject of B2B, as well as a few other interesting tangents, I'm sure. So Amelia, thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with a fairly a fairly basic one. I'm sure you've been asked 100 times before. Are there any traits that, in your experience, the best strategists share? And perhaps a more interesting sort of take on that is, is would you draw any distinction between strategists in a sort of B2B context versus those in a consumer context?
1: you i think that is a really fundamental place to start i think that actually from my perspective and kind of you know 20 25 years in the business working on kind of b2b b2c as well the crossovers are more and more crossed over than they've ever been in the past and if i think about the fundamentals of marketing strategy if i think about audience insight, I think about brand truths, I think about the cultural context that organisations and brands are operating in. I think there's much more fluidity between what is a consumer brand, what is a corporate brand, what is a business brand. So actually, from my perspective, it's really made my, my life much easier, because a lot of the frameworks, a lot of the processes, and I'd say all the thinking now, I actually do take from b2b and i apply the best of that to b2c and, and and vice versa actually so so i think it's become increasingly interesting for b2b marketers because i think the sort of the canvas is, is flatter now. And I think the opportunities for imagination are greater than it's ever been at any point in my career.
0: Do you almost think sometimes within a B2B context, because maybe the most creative minds aren't always, I mean, there are lots of exceptions, but aren't always drawn to a B2B environment, that actually that there can be some like, like sometimes I think there are some of the most exciting opportunities exist within B2B because if you're trying to kind of like do something remarkable in a really established consumer market that's had, you know, billions of dollars thrown at it over the last hundred years from an advertising perspective, it could be quite difficult to kind of know how to cut through the noise in a, in a B2B context. Often there just hasn't been that sort of creative ambition um, historically. Like what's, what's your, what's your take on, on that?
1: So genuinely I get much more excited. I mean, I, I actually, so I get much more excited by B2B briefs and then let me take a step back. I actually don't even use, I mean, I, I find the kind of, the non sort of B2B and B2C mm. quite unhelpful, actually. I think it's a sort of false dichotomy. Yeah. But there is, there's a proposal I'm putting together now for a fascinating, I'm going to call it B2B, but a fascinating project, which is it's an AI driven diagnostic tool for early detection of cancer. And my goodness, I would much rather win that than win a project for Coca-Cola. Genuinely. If I think back the last, I mean, not even sort of COVID, but definitely the last couple of years, it's organisations and technologies. And that, to me, is where the really interesting stuff is happening. And I, you know, I'm not going to kind of belittle Coca-Cola or butter or Persil or anything else, but actually don't think strategically and creatively. I'm just less interested by that. I think the opportunities to really think differently about companies and products and technologies that need to talk to multiple audiences on different platforms, that to me is the really exciting stuff at the moment. And if I was, you know, starting out in this business, I wouldn't be rushing into consumer marketing because I feel kind of feel like that's sort of 20th century. To to me, the 21st century plays out in 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 this new role, in this new kind of new world. And you know, within that, I get fascin you know, really interested by the role of founder, the role of CEOs, kind of corporate narrative as well as audience narrative and where that fits and and also internal narrative and how all of that, you know, to date, it's always sat in these different, you know, odd silos. There's been the sort of corporate comms and public affairs and and they've sat over here. And then the brand people, you know, never wear a tie and don't wear a jacket and sit over here. And it's like, actually, this is a really silly separation. And strategically and creatively, the opportunities lie in, in how those align together
0: take your point about the the sort of false distinction between b2b and b2c you know it's all selling to human beings at the end of it what about kind of sector experience market experience how, how important is that how valuable is that or actually should a should a great strategist just be able to sort of learn on the job and the, acquire the necessary information as the as the opportunity arises
1: i think it's a really interesting question so my perspective is a really good strategist should should. Be able to work across multiple verticals. I also happen to believe that you get true marketing innovation when you take mm. an insight. I don't know, let's take, you know, you've worked on, you've just done a big project on pet food, and your next project is for, I don't know, retirement homes. And actually, you sort of go, it's interesting, the way that people think about pets. There's something that that sparks a really interesting thought about, I don't know, people and their parents and that relationship. So to to me, really good strategists make great leaps of innovation and insight when they take something from outside a category. So I think, you know, if you're a technology specialist or a pharma specialist, while I absolutely understand there are regulatory issues that you have to know and be aware of, So with that caveat on. But if all you're doing is talking to a pharma specialist, all you're going to get is a rehashed pharma strategy. I I think what you'll get is kind of safe and good. But I think if you want to break through and break out, to me, the idea of bringing in insights from totally outside your category and going, you know what? If I took this category from the pet food market, sorry, this insight from the pet food market, with this truth from, I don't know, fashion, and we move that together. Like, that's where something really interesting happens. But it's a really hard sell. And the amounts of times I think about, so we worked on a fashion brand over COVID, and the CEO said, well, how many other fashion brands have you done? And I had to say, we're not a fashion specialist. You know, what we are, are brilliant strategists. And it took took a really hard sell to kind of go, well, you know, on one hand, is us, um, and we've never worked on a fashion brand, like we haven't. You know, you've got two people down to the final, the final choice, and all they've done is fashion. And it, te- it, took a re- it took a brave CEO to make that decision. But I've always thought great leaps come from when you take different things and, you know, you take different things and you put them together in a slightly different way. But, but it's a braver choice.
0: I remember um, uh, Dave Dye in the interview a few years ago, I remember him saying to me where sector expertise is really helpful is in the sales process, um, because as you say, it sort of mitigates that sense of uncertainty for the customer. They're like, oh, well, you've done it. You've done it for for our competitors. So you can do it for us. Actually, when it comes to the execution, it, it's not necessarily terribly helpful. And, and as you have kind of alluded to, it may even kind of constrain the thinking somewhat and and certainly from my experience done a lot of these podcasts within professional services so like legal accounting etc and uh what's really interesting is the ceos of the really big really big firms they are obviously you know incredibly uh intelligent um amazing people but their sense of what transformation is is very different from when a someone who comes from outside the industry comes in who genuinely tears up the rule book and does things very very differently and of course it doesn't always succeed but when you look at the 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 most exciting things happening in law the most exciting things happening in accountancy etc invariably it's someone who's come in I mean there's 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 uh, I won't bore you the detail but there's one guy who came in from from the fashion world came into the legal industry and what he's done is just astonishing so so I think we're, we're kind of in agreement then that you know sort of sector expertise is is maybe not as as important as as you know we sometimes think it is or certainly decision makers seem to think it is um but what about at a channel level so so how important is it and and obviously this is becoming now more and more different difficult with like the proliferation of of ever more digital channels how important is it for a, a great strategist to have experience in each of those channels so if there are half a dozen specific channels that are kind of deemed really important for the branding question how important is it that this, the strategist has hands-on experience of of those channels
1: well it's a really good question um the difficulty is to your point the channels are prol- proliferating but even how people use them change really quickly so i i do think from an executional point of view it is important to have that hands-on working knowledge, the inside out. Um, but but I also think, you know, I was at um I was talking at um, a big conference that Snapchat were putting on next week, and you know while I know that you know Snapchat isn't an obvious one necessarily for, for your listeners, it, it it was a really interesting um, the conference was a really interesting one. So I was doing a, a keynote for them. Um, but then I was, I stayed on, and I and I and I listened, and I I heard their examples, and actually it really struck me that um, all these platforms now have such good, smart um, sort of salespeople and practitioners within them. All of who, you know their job is to teach uh, their clients or potential clients the best practice within it, and yeah. you know they Snapchat were talking to a room of young clients and also young uh, media strategists from the big, you know, from Mediacom and, you know, Group M, all the big media agencies. And all of them were having to learn. So so I think the idea that that somebody out there knows all this and they've got the kind of the X, Y, Z rules to follow is a fallacy. I don't think it's true because the behaviour is always changing on them. So whoever you talk to, if they say, you know, I'm an expert in TikTok or I'm an expert in blogger outreach or no, even though blogger outreach isn't really a thing, but, you know, if people tell you they're an expert, there's a bit of me that the alarm bells ring because I think it's very hard to be, the platforms are moving forward so quickly, the expertise, in order to be an expert, you are constantly going back in and constantly learning and constantly opening your minds to, to new possibilities. So you know, even just thinking about the Snapchat and the Snap conversation, the technologies, they're, they're always innovating. Your point is a really good one, which is from an executional perspective, it's all in the detail and it's so important when you are thinking about campaigns to really be thinking about the kind of behaviour on individual channels. But I do think there is so much help out there. You know, you don't, you know, you don't need agencies but what you can do is talk directly to the platforms. And I think I've always been really impressed by the calibre of people I found working directly on those platforms.
0: My view on it a little bit is is I think if you as a strategist can be, um, and this is kind of like goes against a lot of what, you know, I think we're often taught. Um, if you can be sort of seven out of 10 or, you know, at least six and a half out of 10 in, in in as much as possible, I feel like that puts you in pretty good because because otherwise there's a real danger. When I first got involved in digital about 15 years ago, I I I lived in 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 SEO right for like five years, and and I just thought the SEO was the solution to every every you know every every challenge in life. And of course, that's absolute nonsense. And and I, I don't I mean realistically, can someone be expert in more than two or three channels? I don't know. I'm not sure they can. So I think at some point. You have to say, well, look, I, I'm, I'm going to, as you say, sort of surround yourself with, with brilliant people who truly are, you know, world-class in all of those challenges, all of those channels. But if you can know, if you can have a reasonable understanding so you don't, otherwise, I think your strategies are in danger of becoming more a product of your blind spots than actually what, uh-huh. what you know. Um, and I think that's that's a challenge, isn't it?
1: That's interesting, or, or, or the inverse. So rather a product of your blind spot, to your point about SEO, you kind of revert back yeah. to your centre of gravity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I certainly did for a long time. How do you? Uh, again, this is quite a sort of, I guess, quite a foundation question. How does one measure the success of a strategist? Because I mean, I guess it depends maybe on the brief and on. But but from your perspective, when you go into a, a new campaign, have you got a sense of look? These are these are really the things on which I expect to be measured.
1: Um, I think it differs all the time. And I think, you know, there are kind of brand metrics, there are direct response metrics, there are engagement metrics, there are sales metrics, there are, you know, so I think it's become harder to measure, because there's more that you can measure. Then you get to the point of what does it mean? So you measure it, but what does it mean? And what are you comparing it to? So, you know, are you comparing it to where you were last year, which is a good place to start? But then... You know how do you how do you benchmark yourself against a competitive set, And then you get into a conversation which is who exactly is the competitive sex? And so it's the metric conversation to my mind has gotten much more complicated. So on one hand, you think it's much easier to measure stuff, and it is in terms of the numbers, but, but then turning the numbers into a story and then telling this turning the story into a so what into actions. Mm. I don't think that we spend as an industry, I don't think we necessarily spend as, as much time as we should because you kind of you fill a dashboard. There's a there's a triangle I sometimes use which talks about um, data, information, knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Um so you get data at the bottom and that, you know, that's the sort of you can't argue with it, that's the numbers. So you've got the data. Information is the next level up and it's how you put bits of data into information and then you know, a step above information is knowledge um, and that's where really you're starting to get a sense of a category of what's going on and the very top is wisdom and actually wisdom is is quite subjective yeah so if the bottom and data isn't you can't argue the click-through rate was this the sales rate was this when you ladder up to wisdom you can because actually that's the bit where you're like well i think it means this. Mm. And I think that we should do X, Y, and Z. And that's wisdom. So, you know, I think we spend a lot of time in the data, but I don't think we ever go up those levels.
0: Really interesting way of putting it. Really interesting way. I guess experience then becomes a big part of that, you know, that that, that top level. And, and as you say, very, very subjective. Some people have a natural inclination towards brands. Some people naturally have an inclination towards sales and direct response and short-term um, uh, uh, metrics, et cetera. So I, I, I guess... Yeah, very, very difficult to, to define it, you know, in a very kind of specific way. But I, I, I love that way of looking at it.
1: So experience, but also confidence as well. And I suppose maybe they're just two sides of the coin, which is you get experience, which gives you the confidence and the confidence gives you the, but, you know, but it's quite, as you go up that kind of, you know, data, information, knowledge and wisdom, as you go up the, that, that step, it takes more bravery, of a strategist yeah. because the numbers give you security yeah but as you move up the numbers recede, and actually it's your point of view and that's really brave because the reality is there are always multiple strategic options there's never one solution and that's the bit where you then as a strategist your job is to persuade that your one is is the most correct one or the least bad one or how you know but But
0: there isn't always one answer. Well, I was going to ask because I guess, I mean, very often I think um, we take it as an assumption that that it's the, the client's decision to define what success looks like. But actually, does a strategist need to be quite forceful in imposing their own view on that and saying well actually because if if the client is obsessed about you know the next six months but you can see that that's undermining the next six years what is it the job of the strategist to actually take a stand there and say well no no i I really have an opinion on that whereas i think nine times out of ten i think the uh, most strategists, maybe it is a question of confidence it's it's almost just a question they ask what does success look like to you how so,
1: so suddenly i'm thinking you're so So the short answer is yes, I completely agree with you. The longer answer is we, and I include myself, actually, which is a really good kind of wake-up call, you know, this is why having these kind of conversations are always so helpful, that we do need to be much clear so the what does success look like? What are we measuring? That's the data. What are we hoping to learn? And what does it mean? And actually, that's a really... That's not a straightforward question. The question of what metrics are we putting in place, what are we measuring, actually is quite straightforward. You know, what does success look like? Here, here are the metrics. what does it mean? What, what are we hoping to learn, and what might yeah. we do? We need to spend. I, I, I do, well, we, by I, we, I mean, me. Certainly, this mm-hmm. this conversation has made me think I probably need to add a bit more time to make sure that actually what we're learning. You know, there's the data, and then it's what we're learning, and then it's what we're going to. What might we yeah.
0: do? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, um, yeah, certainly from my experience, I think we just, I think we, we tend to assume that that is sort of defined by the client. And then that in turn then defines the metrics that we track. But it's kind of, I, I think it's it's selling ourselves short a little bit, isn't it? Something that I I want to ask and and I I neglected this point from the introduction. Apologies. Um. But but having um spent many years working within large agencies, so, so you now uh, more recently um are are running your own smaller consultancy. What what what, what are, um and and it sounds like you've been doing some some really exciting work within that over the last few years. Um. I just wonder what can small consultancies learn from you know their larger siblings and and vice versa.
1: So let's let me just i just let me just flip that on its head. So so I think there's a lot that the big the the big consultancies can learn from the small. The difficulty is with the big organisations is that often organisational structure is so calcified that it's difficult. You can you can learn the lessons of the like you can say it's a sprint. Let's do a huddle. Let's do a but but actually if the muscle memory of the organisation is set up in a certain way. It's very easy to call a meeting a sprint, but actually it's just a meeting. So I think it's quite difficult for the big ones to put it into action. So what can they learn? You know, they can learn about um, getting to um, solutions at speed. Um, I think the big organizational structures are not incentivized to do that. So certainly when I was in big agencies, if you solved the problem too quickly, you know, well, stupid you because a client would have paid for six months and you did it in six weeks. I mean, that, you know, you've just got, you've waved goodbye to revenue. So I think, um, I think bigger places can learn about kind of running hard and fast at problems. Um, I also think there's a learning that the big, the, you know, the big consultancies can take, which is getting to a kind of MVP, a minimal viable product, or, it, you know, that it doesn't have to be, absolutely perfect that you get, you can get to a working prototype of a strategic solution and then you iterate and then you learn and you develop. But we, you know, the big agencies, the big consultancies have had it hot wired into them that you have to present perfection to a client. That's changing. I, you know, well, you know, you get into a kind of what is perfection anyway, but that certainly the clients I worked with would, would rather get to a working prototype faster knowing that then they can iterate and develop you know certainly i think being smaller consultancies i think having clear methodologies and frameworks are really helpful i think that the way large agencies do allow people to have expertise whether it's somebody's great at new business somebody's great at client mm. handling so like that's hard when you're in a small consultancy and you're kind of everybody's doing bits yeah. of everything i mean i do get the feeling that the agility, the expertise, um, and the focus of smaller companies are, are really needed by clients. Of course, I would say that, wouldn't I, because that's where I'm sitting at the moment. You can have too much process. You can, you know, I, I sometimes talk about, you know, the big companies make money when it's layered and longer, and actually want clients want is faster and flatter. And, and I do, I do think, I do think that.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I again, you know, I... I... So, so unlike you, I, I I don't have experience in the really big agency world. So I, I I probably am guilty of underestimating the value. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure these organisations are stacked with incredibly talented, hardworking people, and I, and I probably underestimate some of the value that the processes, the systems, the organisation can can bring. But I I do think, I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying that the, the there is a real increase in the number of of really high quality small kind of boutique agencies now and 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 I think that is 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 a response to to really what clients what clients want. I mean it's so what you described there is in terms of a big agency thinking how can we extend this, how can we, you know, kind of milk this for all it's worth is so counter to to the way that a small agency can operate because a small agency has no choice but to absolutely obsess over every stage of the customer experience because 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 otherwise there's no survival, there's no tomorrow. Um so so that's that's really, really interesting. But I'm I'm yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that there's a lot that, that small agencies can learn from and I do think that sometimes there is a, a bit of a lack of structure, a bit of a a bit of a lack of discipline within marketing when I look at other forms of professional service you know you have to have certain qualifications you have to go through a certain education sometimes I look at the world of marketing agencies particularly small agencies and it does seem a bit like the wild west Um, you know you you get 10 strategists in a room and ask them to define you know brand positioning you're probably going to get 10 different answers which is okay but you ask those 10 people the same question a week later you probably get 10 new answers it seems a bit so I, I do sometimes think maybe there is a need for a little bit more structure and discipline. I'm not sure what you would think on that.
1: I I would agree. And, you know, we make it hard for ourselves. And, but even like sometimes, I don't know if I should admit, you know, but sometimes I do have to Google when a client goes, well, is this a proposition or is this this, or is this an insight? or is?" And you sort of go, oh my God, have I just written? Is it an ambition statement? Is it a mission statement? Is it a purpose statement? I'm like, Oh God, I don't know. Is there? And then, you know, and, and even, you know, 25 years in the business. And I'm like, well, I still have to Google sometimes. And then I'm going online. And I'm like, actually, I don't agree with that definition that I've read on this website. And, and actually, it's um sometimes I think that we sometimes, often, I think that as an industry, build scaffolding out of jargon around us, mm. you know, to make ourselves feel clever. And maybe that's because. No, it's not like accounting where we've all done the same exams. and But I suppose different to accounting, marketing is about, you know, at the heart, there is a sense of imagination and creativity and leaps. And, you know, that's certainly, you know, the projects that I love working on gives you that opportunity to kind of think differently. But to your point about structures and frameworks, I and mean, I think what it comes down to is... It's gonna. It, I don't think it'll ever happen that as an industry everywhere, we all go, this is what a brand proposition is. This is what, I don't think we're ever going to have that kind of lexicon. So then i think what becomes really important is whether you're a client or whether exactly. you're an agency, you have your own lexicon. And you go, you have a project? Okay, the definition of a brand insight will vet. So at company X, this is what we think. So we think... You know, a proposition is this, a brand that we call it ambition instead of purpose, this is why. So in a world where definitions are fluid and do change, the onus and important then comes to, okay, Mr, Mrs, client, you know, this is how we do it. And this is how we think. And when we say a brand proposition, this is what we mean. When we say audience truth, this is what we mean. And then at least you as a, you know, agency, consultancy, client, you as a team coalesce around it. Or maybe the client goes, yeah. you know what? I don't buy that definition. Um, I think it's different. And then you go, okay, well, let's agree on, let's, let's agree on lexicon. And upfront, let's agree that whenever we say brand proposition, this is collectively, yeah. this is what we mean by it. And maybe the next project you do, the client will say, well, I don't agree with that. I want it slightly different. But I think going in, even just what is a brand, you know, you talk to five people, and they all have a slightly different definition, so maybe at the beginning, when you go, you know, what are we going to measure, what are we going to learn, what, are we, what might we do differently, maybe there's, maybe in addition to that, then you go, what do we mean by when we say brand, what do we mean when we say insight, what do we mean when we say proposition, and actually, you just go at the beginning of that, let's just take half a day, let's take an hour let's you know let's take a period of time let's just agree that so that as we go into it there aren't any there isn't confusion
0: um just the way that my 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 head's designed i i find it deeply uncomfortable the 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 ambiguity and the inconsistency and as, as to your point there is no single definition absolutely not these things are so subjective but i just think it's really important that any given individual knows what they mean by a thing and that they are able to be reasonably consistent with that to the point where a few years ago, I actually built a uh, essentially kind of like a strategy dashboard that just like, just had like a, um, it just, ensured a certain structure from beginning to end from, you know, market research, brand identity, content strategy, channel activity, through to like performance and execution. Just this is what we mean by absolutely everything. And just it's a case of populating this. And I think when you have that, it gives you then a certain freedom because you relax and you're like, I know I'm dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. I know I'm following a process. It's I think it's reassuring to the customer because otherwise it does seem a bit vague a bit all nebulous and open to interpretation and then it kind of gives you freedom to sit back and think a little bit more freely about about the creative possibilities within that
1: but you're right I mean it's interesting I've never really thought about that before which is the ambiguity actually can sometimes feed into clients thinking that what we do is fluffy or nebulous and and actually if you put in those kind of hard corners and sharp edges and you go this yeah. is how we're going to do it this is this is what we mean then you can have amazing freedom within it but it's not all over the
0: place no i amelia I, I knew this was going to be fantastic um it's surpassed all those lofty expectations i've really really enjoyed this uh thank you so much for for joining us today